I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min football family as ever. I'm your host, Harry Simiu, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be rounding up the latest Arsenal news. I say news, reports is probably a better word. Transfer silly season is fast approaching, as we've mentioned on a number of occasions on recent shows, and that means that stories are coming out left, right and centre. Journalists are being briefed by agents, by football clubs, by people who are stakeholders in some of these potential moves that we could see happening uh, in the uh, summer window. And uh, that causes quite a bit of drama, doesn't it? And I think particularly from an Arsenal point of view, again, it's something I've said quite a bit over the last few weeks, but I really do feel like it's true, is that because we realised a good few weeks ago that the Premier League title was was going away, that we weren't going to be able to get it, a lot of our attention now has turned to where we go next, what we do to try and close that gap on Manchester City next season. And uh, and obviously a big thing in that is transfer business. So I can understand why people have such an appetite for the transfer talk and transfer discussions, um, which is why, of course, we're going to spend probably the majority of our summer talking along those lines. Uh, but I have been thinking today about some alternative types of content that I can bring you over the course of the summer as well. I've got a few ideas, um, which I'll kind of just refine and share with you over the next few days. And you can let me know which ones you like, the, the thought of, the idea of, and and we can try and put some of those uh, shows together, of course. But what we're talking about today specifically, we're talking James Madison, uh, the man who's likely to go down with Leicester City, is being linked with a move to Arsenal. We're going to discuss Gareth Southgate's England squad, in which two Arsenal players were included, but one was snubbed. We'll be talking Roberto De Zerbi and the hint he dropped over the futures of both Moises Caicedo and Alexis McAllister. We'll also talk Pep Guardiola, who came out fighting with his comments with regards to the 115 Premier League charges hanging over Manchester City. And of course, as always, we'll head into the chat box a little bit later on and take some of your thoughts and questions from there. Uh, let's say a few hellos uh, to those of you in the uh, live chat. We've got NSW, uh, we've got Viju, we've got Mario who says, Hi, Harry, hope you're well, mate. I've been away the last two weeks on holiday and watching us play from abroad has been hard. Not going to lie, I'm ready for the live show. See you shortly. Thank you, mate. Um, just referring to the Madison rumour, Archangel says, if this happens, it will make Dan Potts uh, very, very happy. Yeah, I'm sure my good friend Dan Potts will be all over this. Uh, we know that he's a James Madison fan. He's never made any secret of that. I'll share my opinion on the matter a little bit later on. And of course, gauge yours from the live chat. Name says, weirdly, if we were to get one Leicester City player, I would rather it be Barnes. His output for a young winger is crazy. He would be cheapish too. move Trossard to a backup striker rather than a left winger. Interesting. Uh, big hello to Zebic. Um, Archangel says, if Leicester go down, it will be like a feeding frenzy. Certainly feels that way. And that's why a lot of people have given me stick over on 90 Min over the last sort of few months for, you know, wanting to call out Brendan Rodgers on the fact that Leicester are in the position that they're in. Because I think although it's not all his fault, you know, we often talk about a lack of investment of late when it comes to Leicester. He's played a massive part. And the fact that there probably will be, as Archangel very eloquently puts it, a feeding frenzy around their players in the summer also highlights, doesn't it, that actually the squad is far better than what they've produced this season, at least on paper. And so it kind of backs up my point that coaching was lacking um, and, and other factors have contributed to their demise outside of just not going out and spending the money that maybe a lot of people felt they needed to. Uh, big hello to Canterbury Guna. We've got Steve. We've got Nav. We've got Mafia Boss. Uh, we've got Mark with us. We've got Kuranki joining us from Ghana. I hope you're well, mate. Uh, we've got Wandering Minstrel. We've got Charlie, who's in Malaysia. We've got Patrick. Um, Sweet Munchkin. Uh, Therat is with us. Um, Bill Johnson says, Dan Pot's happy. How long will that last? I'm going to show I'm going to show that. <laughs> uh, big hello to Henry, uh, to Johal. 
uh, as well. Uh, Joey Leo joins us from Stateside. He says, cheers from Stateside, Harry. I really think Partey will improve once Saliba returns. We need to build, not replace. Yeah, we were talking about that at length yesterday, weren't we? Thomas Partey, the situation that he finds himself in and the stories linking him with a move away from the club. Would people back that or support that? Would people feel indifferent about it? We're trying to really understand how you guys uh, were sort of feeling around that story yesterday and it felt like just sort of from looking at the chat box live at the time there was a, a bit of a mixed bag so um yeah that's a, that's a really interesting one big hello to rob big hello to mohammed and a big hello uh, to paul as well but look let's dive into uh, the stories then um so james madison what is the story here what is the report well as far as i can see this is a report from the mirror which says that james madison is uh, somebody that Arsenal have their eyes on. He is among their summer transfer targets. Uh, we also heard from uh, a couple of others sort of over the past sort of five, seven days about the fact that Arsenal, yep, they want to add Declan Rice. We know that, but they also want to add creative support, I guess, to Martin Odegaard. And that's why the Mason Mount story has kind of picked up pace over uh, the past few days, especially Mason Mount. I mean, I think he's okay, Mason Mount. Well, maybe we'll do this conversation a little bit later on on Mason Mount. Maybe it's worth a segment as well. But I just want to quickly point out the fact that I've read something today that made me spit, spit my coffee out on the train. That poor bloke next to me uh, must have been absolutely livid. But, you know, every now and again, you read something stupid about football on, on Twitter or on on the internet and you, you just kind of brush it off and you laugh and you scroll past it. This genuinely made me spit out the coffee that I'd just taken a sip of um, because apparently Chelsea value Mason Mount at £85 million. £85 million. The world has gone crazy. Mason Mount is worth £85 million. What on earth are we going to have to pay to get Declan Rice? That's an obscene amount of money. Yeah, he's 24 years old. You know, he's proven that he can do it in the Premier League. He's had some really good, strong spells and he's been really impressive uh, for Chelsea. But his contract expires in June 2024. He's got a year left on his contract at the end of this season. So I tell you what, whoever cooked that up is, is on cloud cuckoo land. I saw uh, a video posted earlier from uh, Rory Jennings. Uh, Chelsea fan and and Rory said, I think the I think the sort of caption that he put when he posted the video out was something along the lines of, um, if Mason Mount is allowed to leave, the Chelsea owner should be replaced. And I sort of replied to it saying, if Chelsea got the asking price of eighty five million pounds or whatever the hell it's supposed to be, Todd Bowley deserves a knighthood because that would be absolutely bonkers and I can just see from you guys' comments in the chat that you all agree uh, with the fact that that is a crazy price I know we were going to talk about James Madison we'll do that in a minute I promise got sidetracked by the Mason Mount sort of shithousery going around online today um, very few players in my opinion are worth 85 million pounds Mason Mount is definitely not one of them um, Thirat says I guess Chelsea are keeping Mount um, Canterbury Gunas says Harry if I were you I wouldn't bother reading anything that the mirror posts fair uh, afsar says 85 million <laughs> i you did an evil laugh like the one i did um mafia boss says no way mason mount no way uh, he says he is max worth 40 million pounds um I, I agree with that um paul says when he was in form he was or when he was on form he was worth about 60 million pounds on a good day He's been out of form with a year left on his contract. He's a £40 million player at best. I think that's really important as well. You know, we often talk about players and and sort of the fact that if you don't see them as a part of your plan, you should probably look to try and cash in when the iron's hot. You should try and, you know, strike at that point. You should try and cash in your chips uh, at that point because the uh, the likelihood is that their value is only going to go down. And, and I keep using the Joe Willock example, but I think that's the best example of that, at least in Arsenal's case, over the last decade, if you ask me, where a player goes out on loan, shows what he can do. All of a sudden, he's the talk of the town. The valuation 
that Newcastle were willing to pay at that point was very, um, all right, maybe not crazy high, but it was certainly above what I thought anybody would be willing to pay for Joe Willock. And so even if you think there's a chance that he will make it at your football club, you have to weigh it up. You know, what's the likelihood of him fulfilling that potential and being a key cog in your team versus the valuation that is on the table, the value of money that is being offered to take him away from you. And I think in Joe Willick's case, this was a player who stylistically probably didn't fit either. I, I, I didn't really see where he kind of fit into our midfield model at that point. It's evolved since then and changed and maybe there'd be a place for him today. But at that point, it didn't work. And, uh, and I can understand why Arsenal took the money and ran a mile. So, you know, yeah, I get what Chelsea are doing. They're trying to set the bar high. And, uh, and lots of people uh, want to start from strong negotiating positions and, and prefer to start high and, and be brought down. But this is an obscene amount of money. And I would be livid if Arsenal went out and spent that on Mason Mount. I think he's a good footballer. I think he could be a worthwhile addition to the squad. But as I said, when we first heard about this story, which was probably a month or two ago, uh, the first thing I said was, all depends on the finances. If you're talking a reasonable amount of money, then I'm I'm not definitely on it or, or all over it, but I'm open-minded. And I, that that still remains the case. I can't be open-minded at the thought of paying £85 million pounds for, for most players, let alone Mason Mount. But anyway, um, let's move on. Let's go back to the James Madison thing because I digressed uh, from that. James Madison, of course, according to the Mirror, is one of uh, a number of players on Arsenal's list this summer. Uh, but that same report also says that Arsenal are willing to sell up to eight players in order to fund what looks like is going to be another revolutionary transfer window for the Gunners. Now, if we just have a quick look at how James Madison's season's gone so far, 29 uh, appearances for Leicester in the Premier League. He started in 73% of their games. He's got 10 goals and nine assists. 19 direct goal contributions in 29 appearances in the Premier League for a side that is struggling right down at the bottom of the division is really impressive. It is. It is really, really impressive. Goal participation in terms of how much he's participated in Leicester City's goals in the Premier League this season. So that includes goals and assists. According to the Transfer Marked website, 39%. He has participated directly in 39% of Leicester City's Premier League goals this season. That is quite remarkable. He's not quite in that bracket that we normally look for or have looked for over the last couple of seasons, which has kind of been the 21 to 23. He's a little bit older than that, James Madison. Uh, you're talking about somebody that is uh, 26 years old. Again, another one whose contract situation probably means that he'll be uh, available for less than he maybe would be under different circumstances. So um, his ex his expires in June 2024, so just a year or, or around about that on his contract, uh, give or take a month here or there, which puts Leicester in a position where they probably need to sell him now. The fact that they're probably going to be relegated as well is going to uh, increase the need to move him on. James Madison certainly isn't going to sit there and and play championship football, you wouldn't think. I think he's done enough in the Premier League uh, since he started playing in it, since he came from, was it Norwich City? I think he's done enough to to sort of not feel like he needs to be taking that step or should be taking that step. I mean, look at his overall Premier League record, 43 goals and 34 assists. So that's what, 77 direct goal contributions in 162 Premier League games. That is pretty good going for a midfield player. He's so, so important to this Leicester City side. A big part of them, of course, winning the FA Cup, uh, which feels a million miles uh, ago now, doesn't it, given where they are uh, in this position. The stats look great. They really do. And if you look at it on the surface, I think I can understand why there are so many Arsenal fans out there that are desperate for him to come in and are desperate to add him to our sort of armory. Where am I on this? I'm not totally convinced. And, you know, people are going to criticise me for that in the chat box, I'm sure. People are going to say, what? what's the matter with this guy? 
Why aren't you convinced about James Madison? He's been doing it for two, three seasons now in the Premier League to a really high standard, to a really high level. The stats tell you all you need to know in terms of his ability to contribute to games. I guess for me, there's there's a couple of factors. So first of all, I'm always wary of the hype around James Madison. Now, it's not his fault that he's an absolute lad, but he is an absolute lad, isn't he? He is somebody who I think sort of you instantly warm to. When he gives interviews, I think he's great value. When he speaks, people listen. I think there's a lot that you can kind of, there's a lot that you see in James Madison and you think he's a great character and he'd be a great fit for this team. And in some ways, he kind of reminds me a little bit of of Aaron Ramsdale in that sense, in that he is, uh, you know, just really down to earth, really normal. And I know that they are human beings, but I think sometimes we think about what they earn on a weekly basis and we we find it impossible to believe that these guys could be just normal people when you get the opportunity to speak to them. Um, injuries has been an issue or injuries have been an issue for Madison in the past. Um, if you go back to, what should we say? The, if you go back to the... 2020-21 season, he was out one, two, three, four, five, six times. One, two, three, four, five, yeah, six times. Hip injury, hamstring injury, knee injury three times, and a hip injury again a little bit later on in the season. One of those injuries kept him out for 50 days, 11 days, six days, five days. The hip injury right at the start of the campaign kept him out for 72 days. So the 2020-21 season was a horrible season for James Madison in terms of injuries. Now, take it on to 21-22, his injury record was much better. Just five days he missed uh, through a hip problem. But just kind of looking at it and looking at these injuries all listed, it makes me wonder if the hip thing is a thing. Um, and it makes me wonder if if the knee thing would be of concern as well, because I'm looking at it now on my screen and all I'm reading is knee, knee, hip, hip, knee, knee, hamstring, hip, knee, hamstring, knee. So I am a little bit sceptical around that type of thing. Um, you know, we've done it in the past. We've brought players into the football club that we thought were going to have a big impact and could help us. And in the end, they've been ravaged by injury again every signing i always say to you guys has a huge element of risk to it but if you know that there is an issue with certain parts of his body you know that he's not very robust then you know that he's going to struggle to to play at the level that you need him to as regularly as you'll probably need him to at a place like arsenal where the games are of course going to come thick and fast then you can understand why people would have and may have reservations about that I certainly do um also where does he fit you know I know people will say he's a wonderful creative player but where, where does he fit into the picture because what I will say is this uh, Mikel Arteta has been quite ruthless I think over the last couple of seasons probably will show us that again in the summer I, I really do believe that I think there will be players that maybe you or I six months ago could couldn't see leaving shoved out the door I think there will be a situation where Arsenal will probably receive offers for players the likes of Kieran Tierney that maybe in terms of building the squad, you, you probably shouldn't allow to move on. But I think Arsenal will be ruthless in terms of selling as well as what they do in terms of trying to bring people in. So, you know, I think we can we can acknowledge that that's the way it's been and the way it probably will be. But even still... Do I think that Fabio Vieira is going to be given up on at this point, given what Arsenal paid for him? No. Um, do I think that Mikel Arteta would prioritise bringing in James Madison over Emil Smith-Rowe's rehabilitation or reintegration back into the side? I'm not sure. And And because there are players in those positions... Already, I think it would take someone that Mikel Arteta believes is an instant upgrade and someone who is capable of going to the very, very top to to force him into making this move or to force Arsenal Football Club into going out and spending big money on a player. 
I don't think you can play Madison and Odegaard in the same team. I've sort of rejected the idea of Emil Smith-Rowe being an eight for those reasons, because I, I don't think he's got that defensive balance to his game. And I think one of the things that's worked really well in Arsenal's midfield this te- this season has been the fact that we've kind of had one specialist deep slash defensive midfielder, one who's kind of in between in Granit Xhaka, who does attack those half spaces when we go forward, but also drops that little bit deeper um, and, and can do that quite well. And then we've had Martin Odegaard, who predominantly is there to create and is there to get up alongside the front line. So I think you risk disrupting that balance if you take Granite Xhaka out of there and you put someone in who doesn't have any defensive capabilities. And I would argue that James Madison will struggle in that sense. I would argue that Emil Smith-Rowe struggles in that sense. I'd argue that Fabio Vieira... Um, you know, would struggle in that sense as well. And so I think we need a bit more of a box-to-box type midfielder if we're going to let Granite Xhaka go. Is that Declan Rice or is Declan Rice potentially coming in to replace Thomas Partey? You, you just don't know. You just don't know. There is loads and loads um, of factors to consider. This is going to play out, um, you know, over the course of the summer and we're going to have to just keep an eye on this and and see how it goes. Um, I talked about Mason Mount at the top of the programme. We talked about the possibility uh, of Mason Mount coming to Arsenal. We talked about the fact that, um, you know, it, it would depend on the price. But if the price was right, I think most of us feel that it's something that's at the very least worth exploring. But just as we're live on the show, as it's been pointed out to me very kindly uh, by some of you guys in the chat box, it seems as though Mason Mount uh, will probably leave Chelsea or, well, it says if Chelsea agreed to sell. Mason Mount could be on his way is probably a better way of putting it. But it's not going to be to Arsenal by the looks of it. It's more likely to be to Manchester United because David Ornstein just now, at 7.23 minutes ago, has put out this post. Mason Mount leaning towards joining Manchester United if Chelsea agree to sell. Talks expected between the clubs in due course. Other sides who have been pursuing the 24-year-old England international are aware of his preference. So that would mean Arsenal are aware, if you're to believe the reports that they're interested. That would mean that Liverpool have been made aware. Um if uh, if those reports are to be believed. And um, yeah, well, look, on the plus side, it means there's now zero chance that we spend £85 million on him. I'll tell you who would, though. Manchester United. I find Manchester United fans astonishing. I, I really do. They've been sort of banging the drum on the Manchester City situation, probably more than anybody. Almost completely oblivious to the fact that their club are exactly the type of club that would do exactly this type of thing, which is spend an obscene amount of money on somebody like Mason Mount. They've got the track record to prove it. So, look, if that's what it's going to take to get him out of Chelsea, then I'd rather we stay away. And um, and if uh, if his preference is Manchester United and Chelsea know that, then you can bet your bottom dollar that they're going to push this as far as they can in order to try and... Um, and uh, extrapolate the most amount of money from their England international midfielder. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the latest on Mason Mount. Again, I'm jumping all over the place on this pod. I apologise. It's really disorganised today. Um, but just, just going back to Madison, I've highlighted a couple of things that concern me. A, where he fits. B, his injury record. And and C, I guess, the, the amount of money it's going to cost to bring him in. I, I just... I think right now he's an upgrade on Fabio Vieira. I think he would impact the team more than Fabio Vieira does today. I think he would impact the team more than Emil Smith-Rowe does probably as well in terms of goals and assists. But having said that, do I think that Mikel Arteta is going to give up on those two players I've just mentioned at this point? Called him ruthless. He's been ruthless with some, but not with regards to everybody. So this is going to be a real test of that as well. I think this um, this summer's market is going to be so, so interesting, isn't it? I can't, 
I was going to say I can't wait. I normally enjoy the beginning of a transfer window. I enjoy all the chat. I enjoy sort of drawing up my shopping list. I enjoy all of that side of it. But very quickly, it becomes tedious, boring, and I get fed up of all the noise. Um, so, yeah, we'll have to see um, how it uh, how it all pans out. But anyway, I wanted to talk about that. wanted to talk about James Madison. It is just a report. It is a report that says nothing more than Arsenal have him on their list of players that they're looking at this summer. Uh, going to take a very brief pause, bring you a quick message from our sponsors, and then uh, we're going to talk the England squad. Um, don't worry, not the whole thing. It's boring as shit. We're going to talk about uh, the Arsenal players' involvement uh, in that. We're going to be touching on some very interesting comments from Roberto De Zerbi of Brighton. Brighton, who are in action tonight, by the way. This could have been a huge game for us. It no longer is. I'm going to be watching the Coppa Italia final instead. And we'll talk Pep Guardiola's comments with regards to the Premier League charges hanging over his club at this moment in time. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in just a couple. Don't forget this podcast is brought to you by the good people over at NordVPN, the virtual private network service, the best in the business. Sign up to NordVPN and get added protection when you're surfing the World Wide Web. Plus, there are a host of other benefits like being able to change your geolocation, which open up a whole new load of doors. What does that mean? Well, for example, you can access TV programs, streams, movies, uh, subscriptions that aren't normally available in your region by changing your location on NordVPN. Most of you would have gathered by now I'm of Greek origin, and I do from time to time like to dabble in a little bit of Greek television. But for me to watch the programs I want to watch, I'm unable to log into the iPlayers of those respective channels because they're blocked outside of that territory. So what do I do? I log on to my NordVPN, I change my location, and I'm able to do whatever the hell I want, which is amazing. Opens up, as I say, a whole new world uh, to surf on the World Wide Web. It costs the price of a cup of coffee per month, which really is nothing. I could do with cutting down on the old Starbucks anyway. Um, and if you sign up using the Chronicles of Aguna discount code, you'll be able to get a huge discount as well as four additional months of free put on the end of your plan. It's www.nordvpn.com forward slash Chronicles AFC. And the link is in the description below if you want to click right through. Now, to my understanding, this promo runs, as far as I know, at this time, at the moment of recording, this promo lasts for about three or four more days. So if you're interested in doing it or you have any questions about it, please do hit me up because I'm a user of this service and I can tell you all about it, the honest truth about it as well. Um, but yeah, just be mindful of the fact that it does run out very, very soon. And this promotion will no longer be available once the expiry date passes. Uh, thank you uh, to NordVPN, as always, for their kind sponsorship. And uh, let's get back to the football chat. Okay, welcome back along. Right, the England squad was announced today for the glamorous games against Malta and North Macedonia. Uh, Euro qualifiers, these games, which is even more bemusing. No, actually, it's not. If they were friendlies, I'd have even more of a moan about the fact that they're placed right at the end of the season. But I just don't understand how anyone can have any appetite after a long, hard slog of a season to go and turn up and play a Euro qualifier against, with all due respect, nations that England are going to wipe the floor with. Where is the motivation? Where is the incentive? I've always said that the qualification process is a mess because we get lots of games that are just completely unfair in terms of the teams uh, that you um, that you uh, sort of put up against one another. Often very one-sided contests. And anyway, um, I digress. Gareth Southgate announced his England squad today. Aaron Ramsdale included, Bukayo Saka included, as you'd expect. My God, he could do with a rest, couldn't he? Bukayo Saka, but still no place for Ben White. Now, this was interesting for me because over the last few weeks, we've read multiple reports suggesting that Gareth Southgate was going to reach out to Ben White and try and mend whatever issue they had over the course of the summer or winter, because the World Cup was in the winter, wasn't it? That led to Ben White leaving the squad. 
Now, we've heard all sorts as to why he left the squad. I heard it was family reasons at one point. Some people have refuted those reports. The truth is, I don't know why Ben White left the squad. But there were a number of people saying, as I say, over the last few weeks, that there was going to be an effort from Gareth Southgate's side to try and put that right and bring him back into the picture. Obviously, that's not going to happen. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. For this gathering, gathering, it feels like a gathering. It's as easy as a gathering, isn't it, for some of these players? Um, But yeah, I'm not going to say I'm surprised by this, but I thought that given there was uh, sort of reportedly this effort to try and fix things, you would... Or you could maybe expect a surprise with regards to him. I don't know. Anyway, um, but Ben White is not included. I'm glad. But the one that that I'm upset about, and I shouldn't be upset because he's just signed a new contract, which we talked about at length, by the way, on yesterday's episode. Check it out. Mike Stavrou of The Athletic joined me to break it all down. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's this thing with Bukayo Saka for me. He's been battered. He's been bruised. He's been kicked off the park pretty much every week he's played. He's knackered. If he plays against Wolves, he'd have played in all 38 of our Premier League games this season, which is incredible. And that'll be for the second consecutive season. That guy needs a break. That guy needs a rest. And if I'm Gareth Southgate, I look at that situation. And I know he's got a job to do. And I know he's got football matches to win. But he wins those football matches even without him. I think he's he's got to look at that and say... You know, come on, you know, give him a break, give him a rest. You know, we'll we'll, we'll reconvene at a later date with Bukayo Saka. We know he's going to be a part of the squad moving forward. But, you know, sometimes when it comes to, when it comes to these young players who are overplayed, overpaid as well, probably, but overplayed for sure applies in the case of Bukayo Saka. Maybe... Bukayo Saka has to say, I need a break because he's looked dead on his feet, hasn't he? He really has over the last few weeks. I don't know. Look, I don't expect any professional footballer to to turn down a call up from his country. So I'm not really placing the blame at Bukayo Saka's door. But I guess the, the part of me that wants to protect him as an Arsenal fan and the part of me that's been saddened, I guess, by the way his form has kind of dropped towards the back end of the campaign. There's a part of me that doesn't want to see him run into the ground. And um, yeah, that's where that's where I'm at. Oh, look, there's someone in the chat called King Hoddle. Imagine speaking of weak DNA when you're a Spurs fan. Get in a bit. Goodbye. Um, anyway, don't know why I'm in a really childish mood tonight. I'm sorry. You probably gathered by my tone at times. I, I don't know what's gotten into me. I have one of those days. Anyway, so that was the bit on the England squad. Uh, still no Ben White in the picture, but Saka and Ramsdale are included. I um, wanted to talk also about some comments that Roberto De Zerbi made uh, earlier uh, this week when speaking ahead of the game against Manchester City, which takes place tonight at the time of recording. Uh, Roberto De Zerbi refused to guarantee that Moises Caicedo and um, and Alexis McAllister would be Brighton players next season. Normally, you, you want to see or you expect to see the manager stand firm on this type of thing. And given Brighton's history, particularly in recent times, of saying, no, we're not going to be bullied by the big bad wolves of the Premier League and we're going to hold on to our players and stick to our guns, I figured that the tone coming out of the club around the futures of these two guys might be a little bit different. I wonder if that's Roberto De Zerbi going rogue. Um, and I wonder if those comments went down well with his chairman. Um, but this is what he had to say. Uh, he said it can be their last game but I don't know. And he meant at the Amex in front of the Brighton supporters. He said they can have the possibility to change clubs because they deserve to play in another level. 
Now we can offer them the possibility to play in Europe because our level is bigger now. We can offer them one possibility more. So referencing the fact that because Brighton have qualified for European competition for, I believe, the first time in their history, that's a big weapon for them. That's a big tick in the sort of conversations of, of trying to keep key players there and and sort of players, you know, often players go, well, I want to go and play in Europe. I want to go and play in the Champions League. I want to go and play in the Europa League. I feel like my level is higher than this. But what Brighton have achieved this season means that they do have a bit of a bargaining chip around this. So, um, you know, fair play to them for, for having a wonderful season. And uh, I'd quite like Moises Caicedo at the Arsenal. So I'm hoping they let him go. Alexis McAllister, I don't really care, uh, to be honest with you. Um but what you can guarantee with Brighton is that if they do decide to let these players go, whoever takes them is going to have to pay one hefty price. This is not going to be a situation where big club bullies little club, gets what they want and um, and runs off with a massive grin on their face. You feel like Brighton are in a position financially uh, to resist that, but also given that they're going to be in Europe, um, they'll feel like, you know, they're... The backdrop of that in terms of the finances that come with that strengthen their position even further. Now, I guess the the counterpoint and counter argument to that would be, well, if you're in Europe, you need a bigger squad. Therefore, they'll probably have to invest a bit more money themselves. And actually, if they moved on one of these players, a Caicedo or a McAllister for big money, that could go quite a long way, given how good they are at recruiting and the types of players that they're renowned for signing. But yeah, Brighton won't be bullied. So if we want Caicedo, if Liverpool want McAllister, whatever the, the rumours and stories are telling us, we either of us are going to have to pay a lot of money to get those players out of there. But I just found it interesting that Deserby would drop such a big hint like that about the futures of uh, of two of these big players. So, yeah, I'm a bit surprised at that, I have to say. The other thing I wanted to touch on before we go into listener questions, um, but I'm going to encourage you to put those listener questions in now uh, while we build up towards it so that there are a few populating the chat box by the time I get around to it, was Pep Guardiola's comments, again, ahead of this Brighton and Hove Albion game. Uh, we'll dive into that in just a second. But if I could just ask you to please leave a like on the video, there's no reason why we shouldn't have at least 100 likes on the board. Uh, so uh, please, uh, please do so. Um, like, 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 subscribe, you know, the drill by now. Also, uh, if you're listening on audio, please do leave me a review. It really, really does help uh, in terms of, um, you know, when people come across the podcast, when they find it, when they're looking for um, Arsenal content, they'll naturally glance at the views. And if they like the reviews, the views, the reviews, if they like those, then maybe uh, they'll come along and join the community as well. So all reviews are greatly appreciated. But anyway, digress back to Pep Guardiola, who I'm not going to quote him word for word, but basically said, come on, Premier League. Like, I hope you're not too busy. Get on with it and resolve this situation with regards to the 115 charges of breaching of the financial rules that currently hang over Manchester City's heads. Look, Manchester City are an incredible football team with some of the best players in the world. And in my opinion, the best manager in world football, they've got the best directors, They've got an ownership that really cares passionately about winning. Um, so there's, they've got loads going for them, OK? But there will be this question mark while these charges are hanging in the air. Unfortunately, the sad state of affairs and the sad reality is that even if they're acquitted, people will say, well, they just buried them in paperwork and found their way around it. And um, and actually, they're, they're probably still guilty of some wrongdoing on some level. That's what people will say. The issue is, or, or at least the comfort that City fans could take if this case was uh, sort of tried and then, you know, City came out on top is, well, prove it. You couldn't. So back off. And now it's it's harassment or now it's unfair. Or, do you know what I'm saying? But until that happens, people are always going to bring this up. And they won the Premier League last weekend. And all I've heard this week ever since then, is financial doping, financial doping. Oh, and financial doping. So you can understand why it irritates them and you can understand why uh, they want to, um, why they want this resolved. But, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I might be wrong. I often am. 
Aren't Manchester City accused of having held up the investigation? Aren't they accused of having failed to cooperate for four years? Isn't that the case? Wasn't that on the list of charges? I'm pretty sure it was. In which case, don't you think it's a bit rich when your club is not cooperating and stands accused of uh, four years uh, of just kind of ignoring this? Don't you think it's a bit rich to then come out and question the speed at which this is being handled? I don't know. Um, those in in glass houses um, shouldn't throw stones, I guess. But let, again, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I can't tell you that Manchester City are guilty, nor can I tell you that they're innocent. That's for the independent panel to decide. What I've said repeatedly, though, is that this needs to be um, resolved sooner rather than later to protect the integrity of the Premier League, the competition, and, and to prevent it doing severe long-term damage to the Premier League brand. So, yeah, um, I, I just I just found it hilarious um, <laughs> to see sort of Pep really animated about that as if he'd forgotten that, you know, one of the things they stand accused of is uh, is not having cooperated with the investigation for the best part of four years, which is mad when you think about it. But anyway, question time. Let's do it. Let's get some of your questions from the live chat. Keep them coming. I'll pick up as many as I possibly can between now and the end of the show. Anybody feel like hay fever is kicking in? I'm starting to feel it over the last week or so. I've started on the old tablets because uh, my nose itches when I talk, which is an ideal. Probably sitting there thinking, why does he keep scratching his nose? Uh, just a quick reminder again, look, leave a like on the video if you're watching us and you haven't done so already. We're about 20 away from that target of 100. So please do help us out there. Uh, but anyway, let's take some of these questions and let's go over. Uh, to the chat box, M says, Harry, would you take a punt at Kulusevsky? Apparently Spurs might not be able to sign him for permanent due to no Champions League football. Would be a great right-wing alternative. And he's a massive gooner. Is he? I didn't know that. I said this yesterday because me and Mike were posed with this question on the podcast that we did together last night. Am I massively keen on Dejan Kulusevsky? I certainly appreciate him as a footballer and I did before he went to Spurs and then obviously it became impossible to once he joined them. But I think that Dejan Kulusevsky is a player that plays well in spells. He has spurts. You know, he... Um, he at times looks really, really good and like a world beater and at times can look anonymous. And I've always felt that about him throughout the duration of his career. And actually, I think that's why he ended up going to Spurs in the deal that he did and not to one of the really, really big boys in European football. I think the fact that his form can be very hit and miss and has gone in upward and downward spirals throughout his career so far is a big reason as to why he finds himself in the situation that he's in. Obviously, when it comes to Serie A clubs dealing with Premier League clubs, there are financial motivations as well for the Serie A clubs to move their players in that direction. I get all of that. But yeah, I think his form can be hit and miss. So on that premise, on that basis, would I take a punt on Kulisevsky? Probably not, is uh, is my answer to that. Uh, Halo says, uh, do Arsenal have an official transfer model, you think? Or do you think it's age, transfer ceiling, wage ceiling, etc.? From everything I have seen, I haven't been able to recognise any pattern. So what Halo is asking in a nutshell is, do I think Arsenal almost have like a tick list of things that they need to um, find in a transfer target to make that uh, a decision that the club is going to support? I don't think there is specifics, but I think there is what. No, let me rephrase that. I don't think that each of these specifics that you've highlighted will be make or break on their own. But I think what Arsenal probably want is the vast majority of those things to look promising before they go and invest a significant amount of money on any individual. And I think that's the right way to go, is spending responsibly. Uh, for example, you know, you look at, I don't know, let's take, I don't know, let's take, let's take Ben White, right? We spent £50 million on Ben White. 
within a certain age bracket. The following summer, we spent £50 million on Gabriel Jesus, who was in a slightly higher age bracket. If if we think that the player can help and the player will be a worthwhile addition, then Arsenal will do it, I think. But equally, when you're outlaying vast amounts of money, you want to protect those investments by making sure that the likelihood of you being able to sell them if you need to is there. Um, and to try and turn a profit is obviously a bonus. I think when you sign a player, though, on a five-year contract, for example, you you understand the depreciation point that you might pay 50 million, get three seasons out of them, and then only get two million, uh, 20 million. But you haven't just got the 20 million back. You've got the three seasons as well. So what's the value of those three seasons? And that will be factored into how much they feel individuals are worth as well as all the other factors. So, yeah, um, I don't think there is one particular thing that they look for in a player that is a deal breaker. But I think there will be a number of elements that they will look at, they will judge, they will assess. And from there, they will make the best possible decision or take the decision as to whether it's worth the spend or not. But I, I get what you're saying. There hasn't really been a pattern, which kind of backs up my point that although we've tended to go for youngerish players and we've tended to go for versatile players and we've tended to do all of those things, none of those things in isolation are a, a deal breaker, I guess, is, is the way I'd put that. Um, Zaki Hassan says, what are your thoughts on offering Reese Nelson a four-year deal? Is this because he earned it or Arsenal want good value for him? Well, I think it works both ways, doesn't it? So I've said this a lot about Eddie and Ketia. When he got given the contract he did, people were like, what? Now, where, where the hell has that come from? Um, you know, fine. Um, the, the point here is that you're tying him down, which adds to his value. And at the same time, you are giving the player what he wants in terms of security. Um, and, and, and yeah, I, sorry, I, I kind of lost my trail of thought here. I don't know why I just went blanking up. Let me, let me start that little bit again. Is this because he earned it or Arsenal want good value for him? I think it's a bit of both. Okay, if you want to keep the player, then you're going to have to go beyond what you might feel is the right thing in terms of the length of contract. So let me put it this way. We talked the other day about Ilkay Gundogan, 32 years old, really, really talented footballer. If he's got a one-year contract offer on the table at Manchester City and he doesn't want it because he doesn't feel it's long enough, and you want to sign him, you probably have to give him three years, which to us might sound crazy to give a 32-year-old three years. But sometimes you have to stretch that bit further and go beyond what you necessarily feel comfortable with to show that player and these people that you really want him and therefore persuade him to come. To keep Reese Nelson, we're going to have to offer him something significant. To give him a year wouldn't cut it. To give him two years at his age probably wouldn't cut it either particularly if his game time is going to be as limited as it has been this season. So to keep him, you're going to have to really push the boat out and you're going to have to say, look, mate, we really, really want you in the way that we did with Eddie and Ketty. I think it was a five-year deal, wasn't it? But that doesn't mean you're going to stick with that player or have to stick with that player for four or five years, respectively. What it means is that during that period, you can sell them and you might not get a lot of money. But in the case of Reese Nelson, where you're not paying any transfer fee because he's going to be signing up again, essentially on a free. Great. Um, you know, anything you gain on him over the course of the next four years is more than he's cost you in terms of transfer fee. OK, you've paid a salary, but, you know, anything's a bonus because you're not compar comparing it to any amount of money that you outlaid directly for him. And the same was the case with Eddie Nketiah. Like, look, look, if Eddie Nketiah plays on the peripheries again all of next season and someone comes in in January or at the back end of the campaign and says, look, Eddie, you're better than this, mate. We want you to play first team football. And they come and knock on Arsenal's door and say, here's £10 million. Then that's basically paid off what we've outlaid in terms of his contract over that period of time. And 
In fact, it's less because I, I think I calculated that it would be 15 million or something over the duration of his five-year contract. So if you sell him after two years of that, then there's three years of that 15 million that you haven't paid yet, which means that actually you're probably going to make some sort of profit. So it's about protecting assets as well, but also sending that message to the player that you really, really want them. So I think it's a bit of both. I'm so sorry I went around the houses on that. I don't know why I had a bit of a moment where I just kind of went to say something and went went completely blank, which is not ideal on a live podcast, but it's been a long day. It really, really has. Uh, going to take a few more of your questions uh, in just a second, but if I could ask you once more, please, final time, I promise, please do leave a like on the video. It really, really does help. And of course, subscribe to the channel if your brand's spanking new. Uh, Lovely Lion says, Harry, what do we do about Partey and Zinchenko? They went from being unplayable to probably the worst they've ever played in their senior careers overnight. I don't think that's fair necessarily. Um, what do we do about them? Partey needs to refresh and go again next season. I still got faith in him that he can be, um, that he can be a, an important player for us. I, I really do believe that. Um, as for Zinchenko, has he got shortcomings defensively? Certainly, but he's been a big part of the reason that we've jumped up a couple of levels this season. So again, I don't want to hang either of those two out to dry necessarily. I think they're both players that have a future at Arsenal, despite the reports linking Partey with a move away. When I heard he was linked with a move away, I kind of went, oh, should we entertain this? Should we try it? Should we go to the negotiation table and see what's on offer? And then I heard it was from a couple of Serie A clubs, which means they're probably going to want to loan him for a year with an obligation to buy that they'll probably back out of somehow later on uh, or with an option to buy that they have no intention of taking up. So, um, no, I think we we keep those players and we, we build on them. We don't necessarily have to replace everywhere. We have to build on what we have so that when, as happened at the back end of the season, players do drop off in form and people are going through difficult periods, you can take them out of the firing line, put somebody else in without it significantly damaging the level of your team and without it being something you're reluctant to do from fear of a real drop-off in quality. So, yeah. Um, this is a related one, so I'll just throw this one in there uh, from Ojedek, who says, what do you say to people who say we should sell Partey? I would say to those people, for three quarters of the season, Thomas Partey was Arsenal's most important and influential player and the one that we could not do without above anybody else for three quarters of the season. I don't think the final quarter of the season is enough to just discard him, throw him to the fire, throw him to the wolves. I think it's unfair. You can be disappointed with the way his season ended or fizzled out, however you want to put it, whilst appreciating what he's done as well. So I think those two opinions can coexist. Not everything is so binary. Um, and uh, I think in that case, that that's certainly... Uh, the truth there. Uh, Mark Bevan says, would you take 20 million for Jesus? Now, no. Why would you? Again, another player who's been majorly influential in Arsenal's level, dramatically increasing. Why would anybody want to push Gabriel Jesus aside? If you say that you want to bring in another profile of striker, you want to have a better support network for him, then fine. You know, I haven't got a problem with that. Um, I haven't got a problem with that at all to suggest that he's worth just 20 million a year on from paying 50 million for him and then watching him literally transform our attack, literally bring the best out of Bukayo Saka, who's having his greatest scoring season ever, literally getting the best out of uh, Martinelli, who's having an amazing season, literally bringing the best out of Martin Odegaard, who if he scores at the weekend will have scored the most goals of any Premier League midfielder in a campaign, excluding penalty kicks. A lot of that is down to those individuals that I've just mentioned, but an awful lot of that is to the facilitation uh, brought by Gabriel Jesus and the way he allows them to play their game to a totally different level. And, and he's just given us a completely different dynamic. 20 million is chump change uh, when you're talking about a player of that quality. And I, I would not entertain that for a second. If someone came to me, if I was in charge of Arsenal, 
if I was a sporting director and someone came to me with a 20 million pound offer, I would laugh. I would literally laugh in their face. Uh, Michael says, how many signings should we realistically expect this summer, Harry? I think we can definitely expect three. And then hopefully they'll be of the highest calibre. That's what you want, right? That's what you want to see. And I think there probably will be a fourth and maybe even a fifth. But I think a lot of that will be down to what we can do in terms of moving people on as well. And I think we need to do that. Now, once the season ends, um, I've got a few bits of content coming your way where we'll be sort of wrapping up the season. We'll obviously keep you across the transfer news as well as and when it breaks and as and when it drops. But I feel like once the Wolves game's out of the way, we can really look back on this season and, and really judge it. And what I want to do is do a kind of season review in maybe two or three parts where we break down what went well, what went wrong, um, and um, and what the learns are moving forward and, and where we still need to improve going into the new season. So those are going to be coming. So keep your eyes peeled on those. Um, but I'm also going to do a piece where I go through the squads and we do a kind of keep, get rid of, um, open to selling if the right money comes across the table, all of that stuff. And we'll do all of that and we'll break it down and we'll go for individuals. But in answer to your original question, I think definitely three. But I think if we manage to move people on and raise quite a bit of money, then you could see as many as four or five uh, first team squad players coming in the door to help us in our quest to maintain the level and the standard that we set this season, hopefully go one further, but also compete in the Champions League as well. Um, and of course, Mikel Arteta will want to fight in the domestic cups as well. I don't think he's ever felt he's had the squad really to do that um, since winning that FA Cup in his first, what, half a season in charge, not even that. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of that will be dependent on outgoings too. Canterbury Gunnar says, Harry, do you think Arteta's stock will be rising in Europe even if we don't win the Premier League next year? Absolutely. 100%. Because a lot of people um, from the outside watching in feel for Arsenal. And I know this because I speak to a lot of people that work in the sort of football media world, a lot of whom are not based here in the UK. And a lot of them were saying to me, even when Arsenal were sitting pretty at the top of the Premier League, how can you compete with that Man City side? You know, how can any of Europe compete with them? It's, it's an absolute, you know, it, it, it they're an absolute monster. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Arsenal fell off. I wouldn't be surprised if Arsenal, um, you know, struggle at the, the final hurdle and, or, or fall at the final hurdle. Mikel Arteta, the work he's done has not gone unnoticed on the continent. Mark my words. People are looking at him and they're thinking this guy has turned a sinking ship into a club thriving. He's turned the club completely around, taking a bit of time, taking a bit of investment, taking some trust from the ownership, of course. But he's done an excellent, excellent job. And um, and so, yeah, his stock is rising. I can assure you of that. Uh, just quickly, I'll take this one from Damien referring to my point about Definitely bringing in three players. He says, you said definitely three, but how much do you think we need? Well, this is the thing, Damien. I, Mikel's not a manager that wants to go out and buy quantity over quality. He'd rather, I'm sure, go and get three top players. But if you're talking about the players that we're talking about this summer, you're talking a shit ton of money. So you can say Arsenal have a £200 million budget this summer, but you can say that they only have... The, the ability to bring in three players with that. When you think of the prices that we're likely to be asked for, look, look, Declan Rice, you're talking about a hundred million pounds. We heard that Arsenal were preparing an offer of around about 92 million pounds. Okay. Let's round it up to 95, 95 million pounds. Moises Caicedo, how much is he going to cost if we got him as well? 60, 65 at best, 70 probably all of a sudden you're at £170 million. So, you know, that money can burn very, very quickly is the point I'm making. And that's why I don't think you're going to see any more than three because I think we'll want quantity over quality. What I should have said was I don't think you're going to see any more than three unless we sell as well and generate more funds that way. But yeah, that's where I'm at on that. Look, guys, um, 
we've been going for the best part of an hour. I am going to leave it there. I am absolutely shattered. Um, thank you, though, as always, for joining in. It is very, very much appreciated. Uh, we managed to hit the 100 likes target as well, which is great. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. We'll be alongside you all summer, keeping you across all the latest transfer stories, rumors. Uh, we'll also be bringing you some various other strands of content as well. I'm very much looking forward to doing when I've got a little bit more time. My weekends are going to be free, which is the most important thing uh, over the course of the summer because I won't be at games, uh, which is great. Well, I say it's great now because I'm burnt out, but after two weeks, I'll be bored shitless. And when my wife's telling me to cut the grass and God knows what else, I'll be wishing I was at the football. But you know what I mean? Um, you know what I mean? Uh, so, yeah, uh, thank you as always. Uh, leave a review if you haven't done so already and you're listening on audio. Check out. Um, NordVPN. Um, the offer still has a few days to run, as I say, and I'll see you all soon. Any questions about it, give me a shout. Till next time, take care. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.